Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. It is time for our Counterpoint on um, this Wednesday. We've got tonight Bill Hutchison, who is a former journalist, uh, now a journalism professor over at Seneca. Hello there, sir. Hi, Alex. And Dennis Matthews jumping in the seat tonight. He's a VP over at uh, of marketing over at uh, Enterprise Canada, not to be confused with the car rental company. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. Um, let's start with uh, one of the bigger headlines that uh, it shouldn't be a headline if you ask me, but nonetheless, um, civil liberties groups as well as the uh, biggest provincial teachers union arguing in court, uh, trying to have the old new curriculum put back in. Uh, Michael Bryant was there. He's with the uh, Civil Liberties Association. And here was the comments he, he said. I'll play them for you. The only reason that they're being excluded is because the government thinks that that content is age inappropriate, and that's just homophobic. Mm, yeah. Um, I'll start with you on this, Bill. I mean, the bottom line is to suggest that any parent that is concerned about the age of what, you know, when their child may be taught subjects like gender fluidity, to suggest that they're just homophobic, to me is very irresponsible. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. There's, I mean, I, I looked at the curriculum, and yeah, there are some concerns that parents have, legitimate concerns, teaching a, an eight-year-old that, uh, you don't have to be a boy or a girl or whatever. That just confuses a child at that age. And so parents had legitimate concerns. This government campaigned on a promise that it was going to repeal that that sex ed curriculum, consult with parents, which the liberal government never did, uh, and, and then it's going to rewrite the curriculum. This is not a permanent reset to 1998's curriculum. This is a, a reset for a year while they consult with parents and do exactly what they said they were going to do. They were elected to do that. That was where the campaign promises are falling through on that. So I don't understand why you take it to court ex- unless you want to uh, have control of uh, policy and, and control how the ministry is being run. And that's what the union wants. Well, they just want to be disruptors. But I mean, you know, Dennis, there's a huge conversation that everyone's scared to have um, going on around the world about this movement in gender, um, you know, uh, studies that kids are being taught too young. It's not a conversation that makes one homophobic. It is an actual concern that too many kids are being taught this too young and it's it's creating some issues. And so to me, you know, I would welcome the conversation instead of waking up in 10 years and saying, gee, we just uh, socially engineered a whole, um, you know, generation of kids. Yeah, it's a totally fair conversation to be having. And, uh, you know, the Ford government was elected on, uh, this is one of their sort of signature promises to repeal the sex ed uh, curriculum. And, you know, they've gone about doing that as they promised they would. And, you know, this is just another example of when groups and, and especially interest groups and unions don't get their way. You know, they go right into the court and try to find ways to uh, to thwart the uh, elected officials at, at every turn. And, you know, that uh, that comment by Michael Bryant that it's, you know, it's homophobic to uh, have a discussion about when and what age, you know, people are, are kids are taught different things at or what's in the curriculum. You know, it's not homophobic to have this discussion. There's there's nothing wrong with it. Um, you know, we haven't seen sort of the, the updated and, and, and new curriculum yet. There was a, a broad consultation that, you know, is wrapped up and we'll see what they come out with and, and let's judge it then. But you know, there's certainly nothing wrong with, uh, you know, following through on a campaign promise. And if you don't like it, well, you got your say in three years.
Exactly. Um, I want to talk about this story. Um, it comes from the Toronto Star uh, late today, suggesting that the Ford government is secretly making moves to increase private care to address uh, some of the strains of the system. And in it, the uh, article, they write, quote, though a major multifaceted campaign is now underway inside and outside the premier's office to develop a two-tier system of health care in Ontario, complete with specialized private clinics and the ability of some doctors to charge more than standard rates for medical procedures they perform outside of a public hospital or health care. I'll start with you on this, Dennis. Um, I got to be honest, I- I'm not rich, but I have no problem. <laughs> I have no problem with this because we do have problems and people can't get into hospitals with the current system. And I and I, I should tell not nothing. I've heard nothing about this. But nonetheless, um, if this were a true comment, conversation, is it one we're ready to have? You know, I think we're more ready than we have been in the past. I mean, our they, there was a time in, in place, especially in the 1990s and, and early 2000s, when you even mentioned private health care. You know, people went running for the hills and it was sort of political suicide. But, uh, you know, today I think people are recognizing there's some major issues with the healthcare system, you know, hallway, hallway medicine and, and other things. And we have to explore other options to, uh, to deliver services in a, in a timely fashion. And, you know, I'm, I'm particularly, you know, sort of watching with interest because you look at other things in, in society. I mean, we live in a world now where you, you know, you order Uber Eats to get McDonald's to come to your house because you don't want to wait for something. Uber doctor. You know, and, and, you know, here we, <laughs> and, you know, but here we are in a system where it's like, oh, you need to get your knee replaced, but you got to wait like six months. You know, it, it, society is moving in a, you know, I want something, I want it now um, sort of mantra. And, you know, I'm not surprised that it's going to really start creeping into the healthcare world. And I you know, think it's a good thing for, for innovation. And if we can find ways to alleviate some of the wait times, you know, all the better. Let's keep all the options on the table. But, Bill, we already have it. We have several we clinics do. that Absolutely. do run. It's very quietly. No one talks about it. But if you can afford it, there are people that pay the membership. I, I and I believe the Cleveland Clinic caters to executives of corporations. They, mm-hmm. pay, uh, yep. they pay them to to look after their executives because they don't want the executives away from, from the office for any extended period of time. So they get private health care there. And now it's not, they don't jump to the, the head of the line if, if it comes down to surgery, but for, for uh, x-rays or MRIs or something like that, that, that can be done. And there are private clinics. If I go for a colonoscopy, I go to a private clinic. So there are private clinics out there that well, work within the public health care systems. Absolutely, private, uh, x-rays, et cetera, yeah. get, get done uh, in private clinics. So it, it, it exists right now. Uh, you've had the, uh, the Shoulders Clinic doing that uh, for, for years, for as long as I can remember, uh, dealing with hernias. Yeah. Uh, so there's always been private health care within the public health care system. This is nothing new. I read that article and it said, uh, oh, they're, they're quietly putting together this major campaign mm-hmm. to convince people that our health care system is inefficient and overpriced. You don't need a campaign. <laughs> know, I'm already is, convinced. Yeah. I don't know anybody who doesn't you know, yeah, buy into I waited already. for six hours in emergency uh, two weeks ago and, and at midnight and still couldn't get anything. It's broken, guys. I'm sorry. It's not working. It is, and we need to overhaul it. We, yeah. need to, we need to start thinking outside the box and not put up these walls saying, no, no, we can't possibly consider anything other than what we've got. What we've got doesn't work, but we can't consider anything else. Yeah. Well, we'll see if this conversation uh, you know, proves uh, true. I don't know. It's, it's awfully... Um, uh, Secretive in its language. Oh, yes. Everything the Ford government does is in secret now. <laughs> uh, meanwhile... Because the wind government was so transparent. Well, you know, there you, yeah, there you go. Uh, Ontario Finance Minister Vic Fideli um, is taking the first steps in suing former PC leader Patrick Brown over statements in his recent book um, of allegations that a party staffer had made, uh, you know, made a sexual misconduct complaint about him. And the book is, of course, t- entitled Take Down the Attempted Political Assassination of Patrick Brown, published uh, in November. Um, and in the book, 
apparently a note was left for Mr. Brown suggesting that Mr. Fidelli uh, was involved in inappropriate behavior. Now, this is a story that no uh, newsroom I know has been able to source or confirm or take to air. Um, And when you get these kinds of stories, Bill, as you well know, you dig and you dig and you dig and you race to get it to... um, Mm To air. And you no have one to have has something done that. that you can prove. Right. Otherwise, you're just as liable if you repeat it. Uh, you know, hello, Mr. Kettle. Mr. Potts on line one. Uh, Dan, you know, Patrick Brown was complaining that uh, he was taken down by unsubstantiated allegations. And then in his book, he makes a, a, an allegation against uh, Vic Fidelli. And the Ford government had a third party investigation of it. Now, people who don't like the Ford government are not going to trust it. But uh, they said there was nothing to it. No, and, and look, Dennis, I, look, I get that you want to push books out, uh, but again, if you can't substantiate, you've got to be able to back up these kinds of allegations. Yeah, no, there's there's so much irony at play here, it's sort of hard to, to figure it all out. Um, you know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm happy that, that Patrick Brown's defending his reputation and, and suing a broadcaster who, you know, brought some pretty uh, unsubstantiated claims against him, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy that the victim always defending himself. I mean, that's what you have to do when you're uh, when you're under uh, under attack, but you know, if you look at the uh, you look at Patrick Brown here and, and what he's what he's doing and, and continuing to do, it's it's just you know I, I understand you know he got a bit of a uh, he was in a tough situation, but doing the same thing that he's upset that was done to him to others is is not the way out of this. And uh, you know I think the sooner I, I keep saying I or I wish the sooner Patrick Brown would just go away, we'd all be uh, better off. But you know a lot of residents of the GTA are stuck with him as their mayor in, in Brampton, so that's not happening anytime soon. Have you either of you read the book? You haven't gotten through it. No. What about you, Dennis? I have not. I, I mean, obviously, I read some of the highlights and <laughs> news stories and stuff when it came out, but uh, I, I don't really find a purchase it either. No, I just read. Steve, I just started reading Stephen Harper's book. I'll get through that. You'll get through that. One. Now that's a book Browns. worth reading. There you go. <laughs> All right. This is Global News Radio. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head with Counterpoint. Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Dennis Matthews and Bill Hutchison joining us and weighing off on uh, these issues. Uh, this this is a story I think that you know is going to have the creep, and I think we're going to just hear more and more of these cases. But uh, we've been talking about it here on Global News because Sean O'Shea broke this story about uh, a Mississauga man who tried to um, return some empties over the weekend at like 11.30 in the morning, only to find himself getting a breath test uh, for alcohol by a police officer who kind of questioned his returns. Um, And the bottom line is, this is how the new policing powers work. They can pretty much ask anyone, anytime, uh, for a sample if they feel like there might be an impairment going on. Here is, uh, I think it's Joe Newberger, correct? Um, Oh, we got a clip of... Oh, it's a police. Sorry, this is the Peel Regional Police um, on what people can expect when they go to their liquor store to return empties. If you're operating a vehicle with open alcohol, that's we're dealing with something different. We're dealing with the Liquor License Act. Uh, but in regards to a certain quantity of empties or full full bottles, no. I mean, if an officer decides to conduct an investigation and questions about, uh, you know, consumption or that kind of thing, Empty bottles might weigh into the fact of, you know, his investigation, but there's no set limit or quantity or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if they're doing this at beer stores, liquor stores, they'll be doing this at bars, you name it. I mean, and if they're on a quota system, Bill, I mean, the bottom line is your privacy and your civil liberties are if, done. If, if they want to set up outside a bar 
on a Friday or Saturday night, I have no problem with them setting up and checking people as they leave. That's reasonable that they've been in a bar drinking and, you know, there's a suspicion there. But yeah, this is the creep of invasion of your privacy. Uh, if you're taking beer bottles back at 11 o'clock in the morning and they're, they're checking you for, for your breathalyzer, uh, that seems to me extreme. You know, it, it strikes me as odd, Dennis, because the, the Trudeau liberals, you know, they had such a problem with um, mandatory minimums, you know, the draconian overreach of, of, of the courts and, and the justice system. And yet they don't seem to have any problem with the overreach of what I think many look at is, is, is the policing powers. Is this the kind of policy that they may have to walk back? Yeah, interesting question. You know, we'll, we'll see over time, obviously. But I, I was surprised when this first came out. I, you know, I was surprised, and it got a bit of attention. And you know, I think in, in particular in the Senate, they were they were they were examining it. But it, you know, relatively just sort of sailed through. And I think it's just now people are sort of waking up and and realizing. And it's almost every couple of days you're hearing a, a story like this. And you know, I think over time, this is one of these this is one of these things that doesn't really feel like a big political issue. You know, right now maybe it's building, but I, I, I think could become one. Uh, you know, as we get into a campaign this fall and in the years ahead, especially if, um, you know, there's there's more and more overreach. I mean, taking back bottles. I mean, come on, you should see me taking back bottles on weekends sometimes, you know. There's more more than one person could consume in a, in a day there. Doesn't mean, you've been, uh, doesn't mean you've been drinking. So it's, you know, like if you see some ridic- more, more and more ridiculous examples like that, you know, I think we will see uh, see more and more outrage and, and perhaps it could be an issue that, you know, becomes a, a campaign one. Yeah, look, I've, I've met very few lawyers who have said they're okay with this and are openly saying, look, this is going to be challenged, period. It, it will you know be, that, yeah, go ahead. Well, the, the other question, you know, people get so upset about carding and all oh, the police, you know, randomly stopping somebody and checking identification or, you know, in the States, you hear stories of checking whether you're a, a citizen or not uh, on the street when you're, you're doing a stop. And there's all kinds of outrage on that. You know, if you're outraged over those things, you should be outraged over a sort of a random breathalyzer test with, with no real reason. And they, they seem pretty similar to me. Oh, well, I guess we got to get the um, activists working on this side of the, the fight now. <laughs> Don't hold your breath. Uh, well, I won't have a choice, Bill. I will not have a choice. Um, let's talk a little bit about the... Uh, ter- there's an article in the Globe and Mail today talking about um, the Toronto police because as they try to expand and hire on more people, um, I guess they, they did some analysis of the um, ranks to, to find out where they live, and it reveals that three-quarters of its uh, uniformed officers, in fact, live outside of the Toronto area. So we're talking roughly 5,000 uh, uniformed members live outside of, of you know the city in places like Hamilton, Peel, uh, Durham. Uh, Bill, I can't say, the, the, A, it's not a new headline. No. B, I don't care. Do you care? Do police officers have to live in your city? No. No. And in fact, I, I used to live in the 905, and a lot of my neighbors back in the 80s were uh, police officers, and it was simply an economic uh, issue. They couldn't afford to, to buy in, in the city of Toronto, and so they bought in 905, which is why I bought in the 905 at the time. I couldn't afford to buy mm-hmm. something in Toronto, so it was just an a- economics yeah, to me, Dennis, this is kind of much ado about nothing because it's been like this for a long time. But to to to, to suggest that you're only going to be able to hire police officers within your own jurisdiction, I mean, you go where the jobs are. Yeah, no, of course. I, you know, I don't think this is something to get too worked up about. But you know, all that said, all you know, played a little bit of devil's advocate here. I mean, I think it's it's sort of aspirational. You want to have the people you're 
your law enforcement officials and others actually living in the communities that they're policing. I think it's a good thing for it's a good thing for society. And, you know, and I think this is a problem we face for, for a long time. But I think there's some tough questions we need to ask ourselves on, on what kind of city we're building when, when people can't uh, can't afford to live in it. And, you know, I say that as a, as a total free market conservative. But, you know, we have these like uber left wing city councils and they're worried about all kinds of causes. But, you know, the, the biggest thing they're creating is this uh, sort of inequality where a lot of people can't afford to, to live in the, in the very city that's becoming some sort of left-wing haven. So, you know, I think this is sort of exposing some some bigger questions. But, you know, back to the, the police uh, the police issue, I do think it, it's ideal to have people who are doing the policing living in the communities. It's, it's a good thing. But, uh, you know, I don't think we need to get too worked up over the fact that, you know, people are commuting in from Whippy or something to do policing. It's, you know, it's not a different country here. I think Toronto, though, is like an anomaly because it is. It's just so expensive here. And it's big, but... Uh, you know, I think if you did the same kind of analysis for Hamilton or Burlington, I, most of those officers would live within those communities. Sure, but it, it comes down to economics. I yeah, and, that, in other words, are we, gonna, are we willing to pay more as taxpayers for officer salaries to have them live here? Would you be willing to pay more? I mean, I, they make a good paycheck now. People always complain about the police budget, that it's, you know, it's just too large right now and, and people don't want to spend more on, on police. Right, so therefore, then, Dennis, they can't be offended if they don't live in the most expensive city in the world. Yeah, well, and I've got one great way for them to save money is, you know, stop breathalyzing random people who are bringing back empties. Yeah, yeah there you go. Um, let's talk about a secret pot warehouse that is really not so secret anymore, but uh, this holds massive quantities of pot um, that is to be shipped to the pot stores across this, this province, and now it has been exposed by OpsU leader Smokey Thomas. It's located in Oakville. Uh, it's in an industrial area. It's guarded. It's patrolled. Uh, there's 24-hour surveillance, and and there's a reason it's secret. I mean, the mayor of of um, of Oakville, Oakville didn't even know it was here, but Thomas decided to out this location because, according to him, the workers of the warehouse were supposed to be unionized, similar to LCBO. And, well, they're not. Dennis, I mean, honestly, if one of these people, I mean, the reason these places are secret is so that criminals don't show up and kill people and take the stock. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this is a huge, this is a huge problem and a big, and a big blunder. I mean, you take, uh, you you know, you take other, other products like, you imagine a a beer truck or something like that. You've got sort of tens of thousands of dollars of of beer in there. It's not like you can relabel it and sell it on the, on the black market or anything. It'd be Mm -hmm. very difficult to do. You take the amount, the tens, hundreds of millions of dollars of, of cannabis that would be in a warehouse like that that could easily be sort of offloaded onto the black market uh you know you're putting a, a real target on on that facility and putting the, the safety of the people who work there um mm. in jeopardy i mean i think this is you know I, I don't know what the consequences are for this but this is uh you know this is serious stuff yeah look i, I interviewed one of the guys that's responsible he has one of the security contracts to to, to take this stuff from you know producer to to these locations and they they don't joke around about it it is serious business they're seriously concerned about people getting hurt and that's why it's secret can you imagine if the workers there were unionized were part of Smokey Thomas's union and someone else out of the location he'd be the first screaming yeah. from the rooftops how dare you put my union brethren at risk this is so irresponsible and so stupid on his on his behalf it didn't need to be you didn't need to publicize the location if you want to go in and organize the workers there, then fine, go ahead and organize the workers, but you don't have to publicize the, the location. Comes off as sour grapes. Well, we'll see what happens with this one. Guys, i got to leave it there, and I thank you very much for joining us. Dennis Massu, thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Bill Hutchison, on Global News Radio. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.